so how do we get started? Oh. Okay, I got it. You okay. ready? Yeah. Cody, when was the last time you cried? Ooh, that's a good one. The last time I cried was when Joe Biden won president. <laughs> So the last time I cried was probably a couple of weeks ago when my aunt passed away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not, I mean, that's not really same as cause I cry a lot. Yeah. Children do that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's part of it. I mean, I, I, that's, that's kind of part of my journey, I guess. Yeah. Being okay with that. I, I mean, I cry weird stuff. Like, you know, the stereotype of like crying at like a Hallmark commercial, I probably do something similar. It doesn't take much to get me anything, anything that has to do with like being a dad and yeah, you know, that, that whole relationship that definitely gets me every time. I think that that's true of me. And I've actually thought a lot through this and how I think that I project, like, I think I could, I think I need to cry a lot more than I do. I think that I project it onto other things so that I can let it out. And so like, I see things mm. that really have no emotional connection to me at all. And I'm like, why am I crying about this? And it's obvious, like my psychoanalysis kicks in and I'm like, oh, I need to cry. <laughs> this is, like I could watch probably the notebook and I'm like, I need to cry. I'm just going to cry at this. Um, so I yeah. Mean, and this year, especially, I mean, 2020 is yeah. the year of crying, I think for anybody. Yeah. I cry at, there are a few Pixar movies that like give me every single time I've seen. Yeah. I've seen them inside out is one and a Coco. Yeah, Coco. Oh, man. <laughs> like, I can't. I, I have watched that movie one time. <laughs> I'm always too afraid to watch it again. I'm just like, no, I can't. I can't watch it again. And one, I watched it about two weeks before my grandmother died. And mm. so that end, when it, and especially when it shows the detail in her hands, and yeah. it looked like my grandmother's hands, and it's her whole passing away story. And oh, man, I was not okay in the theater. Everybody I was with was dead asleep, which is oh. every, I mean, honestly, for a five, that was the best possible scenario. I mean, That's honest. a good point. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, Moana is another one. I cry every time. Have you seen that one? I haven't. No, no. There's this scene at the end and it's something about this innate desire to realize who you were meant to be or who you really are and mm. see that come to fruition, see it come into reality. And that happens towards the end of the movie. And that's another theme that always gets me. And yeah, I tear up every time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's certain themes and certain things that, I mean, I, if we really dug into it, right? Like it's, we could pr really figure out probably really easily what makes us cry for you. It's, it's easy. You said it's, anything dad related, kid related, parent relationship kind of situation, which I get to some degree. I think I'm finally entering that place in my life where I'm like, you know, I can start to see myself as a parent or, you know, being in love for probably the first time in my entire life, I think is, is created a thing in me like, and open up emotions and being with somebody who's incredibly sensitive, incredibly comfortable with emotions. I think that's also been um, a really, uh, 
big thing for me to be able to be comfortable with my emotions with somebody else, which has never happened in my life. So that's, that's a huge thing. I'm learning to deal with my feelings by examining them rather than just ignoring them or putting them off for later. So for example, if I'm feeling frustrated, I ask, why am I feeling frustrated? Well, maybe it's because my daughter won't clean her room. Why is it bothering me that she won't clean her room? Well, because then it feels like she's not listening to me. Why does that bother me? It makes me feel like I am being ignored or disrespected. And just keep on going with that. And usually at the end of that questioning, I've uncovered a need that perhaps I wasn't even aware of, which I believe really ties into the fives lost message or whatever you want to call it of your needs are not a problem. I do tend to push those needs down, ignore them even for myself, and certainly not do a very good job of expressing them to other people. And those unmet needs do tend to show up in these feelings. And so if I can dig a little deeper, then I can find out what's truly bothering me and get to an actual solution that will be worthwhile and will actually satisfy that need. So let's, let's dig into that. So obviously we're talking about dealing with emotions as a five. Yeah. So let's kind of go back to the beginning. And so for you, what was it like sort of growing up? How did you go through processing or dealing with your emotions? I think that from a very early age, I was always feeling like I was a, not a part of the group, even with my own family. I always saw everything from the outside in. And always felt like I didn't really have like my people or my tribe. I remember feeling that obviously not that well thought out, but you know, something along those lines when I was a kid and feeling like I needed to prove myself and be a part of the group. And I don't know if that ever really left through my teen years and early twenties and somewhere into my thirties. <laughs> I dropped that, I think a little bit, but, and I remember that distinctly as a kid. And, but then also like, because of that, I always felt like I was watching myself from the outside as though I was in my own TV show. Right. So like, it's like, yes. and I imagine all the different angles and all the different things. Yeah. And I think that probably started my in-depth passion for things like movie making, cinematography and things, because like, that's how my brain works. I think about different angles and stuff because I've been doing it since I was a kid, subconsciously or consciously. I mean, I, my dad would give me his old video camera and I was like really into it. It's the one where you like put it on your shoulders, you know, the real yep. big one. And uh, yeah, I think, and I was obsessed with making all kinds of videos and I, this is the most five thing ever, but I remember like when I would make videos, it was either music videos because I was in, I was obviously into music and, or I was a weatherman. <laughs> and so I would predict the weather. And I had all of these instruments and all of these things that I did. Um, where I, I went outside and I was always about the weather. And like I had my brother hold the camera and I'd be out here like, well, it's raining. <laughs> but like, that is that not the most five thing? I mean, it was like, I was already like, I want to be in science or something and didn't do that. My brother did, who's also a five. And I think that that's really funny thinking back through that I was so obviously a certain personality type from very early on. And then to take that a little further, I always distinctly remember, and it's kind of a check-in throughout my entire life, my parents, as many parents do, love the reaction that they get from their kids when they open their presents. I had no reaction. Even when I was the most excited that I could be, it was like, 
cool. Thanks. <laughs> I was five years old, six years old. I'm like, all right, cool. So all the things are where they should be. And oh, these are the things that I asked for. Thanks, Santa. And it was very like articulate and like meticulous about how I and analytical. And my parents are like, do you, do you like what we got you? Is this not what you wanted? I'm like, no, it's exactly what I wanted. And this continued on through all of my teenage years of my parents being like, is this not what you wanted? My mom, especially being like, is this not what you wanted? I'm like, yeah, no, it's exactly what I wanted. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And that's just kind of how I've always been. I, I, I think that as I've gotten older, I've figured out a way to facilitate reaction to make other people feel good. And, and I'm like, this is the reaction that they want. So I'm going to give this to them, which is crazy. It's always like, it's really hard for me because my girlfriend's parents are very big on that as well. And they sit down and they do this whole thing. We sit in a circle and we open presents one at a time. <laughs> Torturous for my personality, <laughs> so right? Bad. So it's like, oh my God, I've, what a, you know. So I've got, I'm, every time I open the present and I'm on the spot and they're all looking at my reaction. And so every time I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I can totally use this for this, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and so, and every time I'm taken back to childhood immediately and yep. I'm like, Oh, I got to be better than I was in childhood. Like, I, I come on, Cody, bring it to the table right now. We're got to bring it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's that's I, that's what sticks out for me in childhood. But that, that's so interesting that that was. It sounds like that was really apparent for you early on that you weren't emoting the way that people were expecting you to. And you know, the the present thing specifically, that wasn't an issue for me until I got married. Because my wife is very much about celebrating and opening gifts and yeah. making a big to-do out of it. And she is a four. And so, you know, she's very, very high on empathy and emotions and, and all of that. And I, I grew up not really celebrating Christmas and not really doing much for my birthday. So it wasn't really ever an issue. Why is that? Yeah. That's a whole other episode, right? <laughs> uh, it had more to do with the way that we grew up and the religious environment ah, that we yes, were in. That yeah. is a whole other episode. That is that, yeah. And and so we didn't, yeah. So that the 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 present thing specifically was an issue. But I'm curious for you, at what point did you do you feel like you really started noticing that you weren't emoting the way people were expecting you to, and where did that? When did that really kick in? And, you know, and, and how did you feel about needing to put display emotions that you weren't necessarily feeling at the time? I don't, I don't think that I ever, I don't think that I experienced the, the reflecting part of that, like the, like reflection, inner, inner reflection of being able to say, okay, I need to react in a certain way. I don't think I had that as in, a, as in childhood. I think it was more adolescence and I got to a certain point where I was like, if I do these things, it makes my parents happy that mm. I'm reacting this way because they went to all this trouble to get me these things. It's when Santa died. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to line it up, right? Um, Hopefully there aren't any uh, parents with kids in the car right now. <laughs> yeah, we should have to put like a rating on this podcast. <laughs> like, no, Just this for the not, Santa comments. This is not safe for children. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, I mean, it's probably teenage years. I mean, when I start, you know, if you want to call them relationships, liking girls and realizing really quickly that you have to facilitate a certain reaction or emotion to get people interested, get someone interested in you and then keep them interested in you. Hmm. So you have to do a certain, it's like a cat and mouse kind of situation. And I was very aloof and very manipulative as a teenager and <laughs> broke a lot of hearts. And I think that that's kind of when I figured out that 
not only should I facilitate emotions or emote in the way that gets a reaction that I need to get out of people, but also that I could do any reaction or any emotion that I wanted to and get whatever reaction I wanted. And so then it became like a whole other thing, which is also another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. So were you actually feeling things and then like, like, what was that process like for you to... This is tricky. Yeah, what was going on there? I think, so the only time, which I mean, I don't know, I don't know. I, As I got older, the times that I felt the most emotion was that as a teenager, I would feel the most like raw emotion. So I think I spent a lot of time, what I was actually doing was compartmentalizing and burying certain emotions that I didn't like or didn't suit me in that moment. And I would compartmentalize them and... As human beings, you can only do that for so long. So then things would come out in other ways. And and then also to like having, you know, an emotional or a, I don't know, I guess it's like a mental disorder, like having bi- some bipolar tendencies of having like waves of some hypomania with super heavy anxiety and then depression and having this, as I got older, this, this thing developing stronger and then causing me to be feeling like I'm out of control with emotions, which was a terrifying thing for somebody who loves to be in control of their emotions at all times. So I think that really affected me. And that's usually when I would lash out. It was always in the times where I felt a little bit manic or a little bit depressed that I would break up with the girl that I was with at the time. It was always, I mean, on the dot and it was so weird and I would just move on. And then like, three days later, I'd come to my senses or four days later, I'd come to my senses and be more leveled out emotionally and be like, why did I do that? So of course I had a lot of on again, off again relationships. And I look back and I see it was exactly the rhythm of my emotional like ups and downs. And it was really weird to realize that and go, wow, I wasn't just an asshole. <laughs> like I actually had something going on that was undiagnosed and I wasn't dealing with it and I didn't know. And so, but that wasn't until uh, many, many years later that I realized that. And so I spent most of my early to mid twenties just thinking that I was a terrible person. And so that also put me at a distance with a lot of people. And so I think that it just further fueled this idea that I'm here, you're there. I will feel what I need to feel on my own and I'll deal with that somewhere else. But here right now I can facilitate conversation and have facial expressions and do all the things that I need to do to make you feel like I care or that we're friends or whatever and do this thing. And it was like, I don't know. I haven't, and it, it just got to a point where I was just like, this is a lot of work <laughs> and I don't know if I want to keep this up anymore, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. In in childhood, I don't know if it was so much like that as much as it, it was, I mean, I'm sure it had a lot to do with my parents and like the way that they shaped my personality and, you know, it's, it's making me feel, I already from day one felt like I needed to like earn love or affection or acceptance probably is a better word to use. And I think that that had a lot to do with how I always felt separated and, you know, and, and as much as my parents wanted to treat me and my brother the same, like they didn't. And so it was because they couldn't, why would they? I mean, we're different people. And so I would see the inconsistency and go, Oh, well I'm doing something wrong. So I need to be better at presenting myself in a certain way. And so it's just, you know, it it goes, this conversation could go in a lot of directions right now, but (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So for me, there are a lot of similar things that, you know, I think the, there are some distinctions in there. We we can dig into if we want about the six wing versus, you know, my four wing, because I, you know, the, that there's that gap (laughs) 
between the five and the four on the Enneagram that they call the abyss. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've been aware of that from a very, very early age. Yeah. And I, I was always, I, 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 it was, it was so weird. I didn't know how to process emotions for the longest time and I didn't, but I, but I, I also felt emotions very strongly mm. and, but I felt like I shouldn't feel emotions very strongly. Right. And so there is just this constant conflict and it played itself out in a lot of different ways. But one of the things for me that was just a, a main, a big theme growing up was like, I was very isolated. Mm. So, you know, we as fives tend to, you know, we have this stereotype of being the curmudgeon kind of uh right. hermit right yeah. <laughs> and and there are definitely there are definitely truths to that and and you and i know that we we are more social fives and but especially for me you know there there are there are times when you know it's it's good to be alone it's good to have you know time to reflect and to get lost in your thoughts like it's just it's energizing for us but on the other side of it prolonged isolation is very, very bad for us. And right. it, and it, it did a lot of damage to me growing up because, you know, we were, we were homeschooled and you were homeschooled too, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you you might've been more social, socially homeschooled than I was. I don't know, but yeah. I, you know, we moved around a lot too. So I, 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 I didn't have any long term like relationships, like friendships, any, anything there was, I, anytime I would feel like I would start to get to know a person or a group of people, we'd move again. And so, and, and my, my parents, they just kind of naturally isolate and, and, and kind of create a bubble for themselves as well. They're, they're very much homebodies and that's less true over time, but especially when I was young, that's, that's how they were. And, and so there, I didn't get exposed to a lot of different people and I, and I didn't have a lot of opportunities to build relationships and build friendships. And because of that, I romanticized all of it. Mm, I watched yeah. one thing. I watched way too much TV, and because that was like my that was my that w those were my relationships, right. right? So they they were my proxy for having real relationships in my life. And so I watched a lot of TV, and I romanticized, you know, what it would be like to go to school, and what it would be like to have this group of friends. And I still kind of do that in some ways. Like sure. one of one of my guilty pleasures is to watch like teenage like drama TV shows. The OC. Like the let's OC. Just, let's just be honest. <laughs> we know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so like I just I don't know, it just transports me back to that to that time. And, but I you know, I had this image that I built up in my head of what it was like to to engage with others and, and what it was like to, you know, be in relationships and, and things like that. And, and, and then in seventh grade, I had the opportunity to finally go to public school and mm. I, you know, I did, and it was a disaster. So I came in and I was the most socially awkward person any of the men ever met which is not surprising. I was super into like aliens and like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I had no idea how to like have a, like carry a conversation with people. Yeah. I already, I already know who you were. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the great thing is I, because I had moved so much, I, and, and because we, you know, we as fives tend to be observers. If, if you really lean into that and, and do what you, a lot of what you talked about, which is like, uh, we can kind of be chameleons in, in some ways. It takes a lot of energy, Yeah, but we can, 
at least temporarily kind of blend into stuff when we need to. And so I, I really honed those skills a lot. So I, I observed a lot and I would mimic and I would mirror and I would do a lot of things that made it seem like I was uh, fitting in until, you know, hopefully one day I would fit in. Yeah. And so I, I went through seventh grade that way. It was pretty rough, but kind of that, that summer going into eighth grade, I finally started to feel like maybe I was starting to get accepted, which I'd never felt before in my entire life. And, and then, we, and, and then we went, we started eighth grade and then we moved again. And this time was so much worse because we moved from the small town in West Georgia to Marietta, Metro Atlanta. And I was, you know, the, the poor kid with a bunch of rich kids and I mm. did not fit in at all. Yeah. And then I had a very traumatic experience where basically, I don't know, if, I don't know if we should go down this whole story, the story in this episode or not, but I'll just say, I, I will save we'll save it for another one. Cause it's, it's, it's a little long, but I, <laughs> I had this experience where my first week, everyone seemed like really great. And then my next week, no one would talk to me. And I spent mm. the rest of my you know eighth and ninth, um, grade basically being mostly alone. And it was really, uh, really traumatizing for me. You know, I contemplated suicide. I, I did not know how to process any of that. And it was, I, I, and uh, the, it made it even worse that I had built all of this up. And so what happened during that time was I created this defense mechanism where, you know, anytime I felt vulnerable, I essentially put up a shield and I said, well, that's okay. I don't want to be a part of this anyway. I don't need anybody else. And I created this wall. And from that point on into my twenties, I never let anyone really get to know me. Mm. And, and it was, I, I, I isolate. So I continued to isolate myself. And in doing that, I also compartmentalized all the feelings like you talked about. And anytime I started to feel, I would just stuff it down. Mm. And, um, and that, as you know, that only works for so long. And so it would come out in these really weird ways. So I, an example of this is my, in my parents' house, we had this basement apartment where my sister and I lived. She was five years older than me. I think I was like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. And we had separate rooms down there. And then there was like, you know, the communal living room and like a little kitchen and a bathroom and stuff. And she, one day she came home and she brought a, a can of paint to paint her room. And for whatever reason at the time that like triggered me and I got so angry that she wanted to paint her own room. <laughs> uh, I was kind of a judgmental prick at that time too. And I got, I got so angry over this that I punched a hole in the wall. And for, wow. for years, I'm talking like 10, 12 years, there was a hole in my parents' wall in my basement, in their basement. <laughs> And it just a funny side note. It uh, what I did was I just took a piece of paper and I I wrote there is no hole in the wall behind this sign and just taped it over it. I feel like I've seen this. Is this in their house now? <laughs> it was when you went there. Yeah. Okay. And then I and then when you, if you flipped it up and looked, there was just it said drat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there would be you know okay. all these all these and random outbursts and just stuff that didn't make sense because I viewed myself as this logical five, right? But I had all this stuff churning underneath really, really intensely. And I tried my best to ignore it. I tried my best to stuff it down, but it would, it would bubble up and it would come out. And I didn't know what to do with it. And, and so I felt 
I felt like a, a terrible human being. I felt like there was something really, really wrong with me because I, I couldn't reconcile those two things. And, and so I, I always felt like there was this part of me that I was, I was ashamed of and I was, you know, I, I was denying and I, you know, I, I, and that, and that let fed into also not letting anyone in because I didn't want anyone to see that in me. Sure. I didn't want people to get close enough to where they got caught up in, in the current. And, and I, I spent, you know, a decade probably of my life that way. And it, it definitely caused a lot of damage. Yeah. <laughs> And and that's where I was really when you and I met. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we were. Uh, it was it, you and I met really the I would say like the year before my darkest period, and it got it got real dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so. How old were you when the hole happened? I was probably like fifteen, sixteen. Fifteen. Okay, sixteen. That makes sense. I was trying to think back as you were talking about any incidents where I had where I had an outburst in my teenage years. And it's weird. I mean, I'm sure I did. I know. I mean, I know I did. Me and my brother fought a lot and um, we would have our own like just get at each other's throats and whatnot. But to have with another human being that's not someone you're related to is also a super enlightening time for you as a person, I think, and as a five to let someone into that space in your life. I think as an adult, it's really strange to have these moments with other human beings that you're not related to, that are not your family. And you let them see some raw part of you that is, whether it's, you know, put aside whether or not it's like an okay feeling or whatever, or an appropriate way to act. But like, you know, if, if we're burying all these feelings and we're not handling emotions in a healthy way, then they are going to come out in a really unhealthy way. And so, I mean, there's so many times that I can think of in past relationships where somebody got to me. I say so many times, there's two times. Um, <laughs> that's too many, but, uh, I mean, there was one distinctive time where I was having an argument with somebody in the car and we were sitting in a church parking lot because that's the best place to have arguments. And we, she was getting at me and I, I it's, it's been a while now but she just kept you know coming at me and coming at me with more and more comments and more things and I remember just like it I felt so out of control of the situation and I felt like nothing I was saying was making it better and of course I just wanted to say something that would fix it or I wanted to know what what do I need to do to make this better? Like, just tell me what I need to do to make it better. And all she wanted to do was talk about it. And that was not okay with me. And so I was like, that's not going to help. <laughs> we don't need to talk more. I don't need to say more. Like, that's not going to make it better. And so I remember, and it, she kept pushing me to the point where I just lost it and screamed as loud as I could and hit the, the steering wheel multiple times. And then she was just like... I don't know you, you know, and I remember that very distinctly. And, and then fast forward, I mean, I had a very similar incident. I didn't have another incident like that until I was married and had a very similar incident with that where she very vindictively pushed me and pushed me and pushed me until I was just so angry. And I literally just screamed for her to get out of my face and give me, give me a moment to process, which is so five. I was just like, I had gotten to the point where I was like, you are in this bubble. You were not welcome here. You need to get out of here. And that's what I screamed. So it was a very articulate scream. I was just like, oh, 
But I was like, get out, get out of my space. I need this space to process what is happening or I'm going to lose my mind and throw myself off this cliff of emotion. And so, yeah, but that's that's like my two outbursts. <laughs> so, and to me, that was just like, oh my, I can't believe I did that, you know? And of course, like, I remember being really angry with my mom and things like that, but that's just like, I remember thinking back in my life and thinking that when I was younger, I was actually more leaning into a four wing and now I look back and after knowing you, I'm like, no, nah, I was never a four. Like I, there's certain things that I just don't relate to fours. And I had a bubbling anxiety underneath the surface that I didn't know was there until I got older. And so then all of a sudden, like this whole world of anxiety came out in my adult years that made me face a lot of myself and my emotions and have to go, okay, I can't just bury these things because they come out in other ways and heart mm. palpitations and things that I need medications for. Like I have to deal with these things. But yeah, so adulthood was like a whole different thing for me. And obviously as it should be. And the reflective part of it made it kind of enlightening to see how all those things in my childhood happened. I don't know if that's how you've you've been looking back on it. You go, oh yeah, I know exactly why those happen now. And then this is how I cope with it now versus then. Yeah, I mean, the the distance that we've gotten, the perspective right. has definitely allowed us to see, gain insight into maybe more why of what and, and what was really going on at the time. thing I've learned on dealing with feelings is learning how to feel my feelings instead of thinking my feelings. And my therapist has worked with me a lot on this, but an example recently was that we had a mini disaster at the house. Like we had a flood and so we've got to tear up the floor and redo a bunch of stuff. And so in the meantime, our, our kitchen is torn up and I was feeling really down on myself about that. I felt like I'm a failure as a father. Like I'm not providing a functional house for my kids so that I can, and I can't make them a healthy dinner in my kitchen because this happened. And I wasn't allowing myself to feel the fact that I was just sad and frustrated about this situation. Instead, I was thinking, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I can't provide for my family. And so my therapist told me you got to stop doing that stop thinking the feelings feel them so it's helping me redirect my mind away from that and think about literally how it feels in my body like is my chest tight do I feel a tingling somewhere and then just breathe into it allow it to happen let it out and your mind is going to keep wanting to go back into story mode where you are telling yourself to think about it again but redirect it keep it going back into your body take deep breaths, just work through it, and then just observe it. And so that's something that I've worked on, and it helps a lot. I'm not there yet, but it sounds obvious. Feel your feelings, but that's something that I'm working on right now. I'm curious for you now, you talked about basically realizing that all of this stuff was causing you actual health problems. What has that journey been like for you? What, where are you now and how did you get there? I guess. So I, I'm, I'm a big hypochondriac. Are you, um, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. So <laughs> that's cause I, I do, I handle it well on the outside. I'm oh, not God, like this year must've been terrible for you. It was really bad, <laughs> but also too, like, and this is the best part. This is how I knew I was handling it really well. Cause I remember talking to my doctor and being like, I fit the bill across the board with bipolar two disorder. Like I want to be tested for this. And she was like, well, I mean, I can set you up with a few different like, you know, therapists or psychologists and we can, you can do that. And she's like, I just don't think that you're, I don't think that's you. And I was like, really? And she goes, yeah, 
I mean, people who are bipolar, they usually have manic episodes. They come to the doctor a lot because they're hypochondriacs who overanalyze and think that everything's wrong with them. And they have these, you know, huge bouts, especially with two, they have these bouts of depression where they're not able to get to bed and they're not able to function. And you seem pretty highly functional. And I just remember thinking, no, I have all of those things. I've just really not told you about them. <laughs> and I probably should have. And because, I mean, I think about too, every single, this is really, uh, it's going to be really personal, but like every time I'm in the shower, I, where you're washing your body, I'm constantly feeling for anything abnormal because I'm like, something's going to be wrong one day and I'm going to find it. And this is the way I'm going to find it. So, but so for me, I started having these issues where, I was like, I think there's something wrong with my heart. Like, I think there's something wrong. My dad has something wrong with his heart. It makes sense. <laughs> and so I, I, I started kind of freaking out about it. And I went a couple of months. This is how bad of a hypochondriac I am. And I mean that it's like, I'm not a good hypochondriac. I don't go to the doctor thinking that I'm dying, which I should maybe more than I do. But I went way too long going, I really just feel like I'm having heart palpitations. And also like, I'm going to pass out all the time. And I just think that maybe my blood pressure is too low or some, and I start going through all these things. Of course I Google, which is the worst thing you can do Googling at 2 AM <laughs> and not, and I'm like, I can't sleep. I don't know what's going on. And then Madison said, I think that you're having anxiety attacks. And I'm like, nah, that's not it. I'm not having anxiety attacks. I'm fine. And there's no way I've never struggled with anxiety. Why would that be the case? I don't feel anxious about anything. I just think there's something wrong with me. And I might be dying. Uh, <laughs> um, and of course, like the five of me, like I overanalyze and I'm thinking all these things and I'm looking at it from every angle and learning all these things about a certain disease or whatever. And every vantage point, does this make sense? Uh, no, this doesn't make sense. Let's move on to the next thing. Does this make sense? Well, three of these things make sense, but two of these things make sense. So maybe I have both, but I don't know it. Anyway. So I eventually go to the doctor and I tell her, it's just really weird. Like I can feel my heart beating in my head sometimes and I feel like it's skipping a beat. And so she listens to my heart and she's like, it's not skipping a beat, but it is beating really hard right now when you're telling me these things and it's beating really hard. Do you ever feel like you're being choked? And I was like, yes, all the time. And she was like, do you feel that now? And I was like, kind of, cause I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and she goes, so I'm going to prescribe you this pill. <laughs> We're going to see if this helps you. And, and Lo and behold, about a week later, I was like, you know, I haven't had heart, heart palpitations in a little while. Maybe that was it. And I didn't know that it was an anxiety pill. She didn't really explain it. She was like, we're just going to see. It's like an antihistamine. We're just going to see if it works. <laughs> and it was an antihistamine, but it also, the side effect was, is it brings anxiety down? And I was like, I st still feel it, but it's not as bad. And I was like, okay. So eventually she got me on a few different medications. And I, at this point I realized it's anxiety. And all of that kind of brought me to a place where I come to grips with this and that perfectly set me up for, and I don't know how much we want to get into this right now, but, and I actually, now that I'm thinking about it chronologically, I feel like I had my death anxiety episode before that. So that only made it worse. And I think it was after that, that I was like, I can't keep living like this. I was basically in the shower. It was after my grandmother's death about a year after. And I'm sitting there thinking about, and keep in mind, this might be better for the religion episode actually. But I was thinking through how I still, I'm still not convinced I want to actually record that one. <laughs> oh, I think that'll be a good one. Let's we'll do it like way on in when we're really comfortable <laughs> doing it and maybe we'll feel better about it. But I remember sitting there and just being like, and it's such a simple concept. Nothing happens after we die. Cause I was thinking about my grandmother not existing anymore. And that took me down this really weird path where I was like, one day I'm not going to exist anymore. And I don't know how I feel about that. And I'd never actually thought about it, really thought about it. And I was in the shower and I remember 
completely getting dizzy and lightheaded and I fell into the floor of the shower and sat there for a minute and I remember grabbing the side of the shower and just thinking about grabbing the shower, like touching the shower and touching the ground and being like, I'm here, it's okay. And it's weird because I didn't, I had never dealt with anxiety, I'd never had a real anxiety attack before. And in this moment, I did everything that people tell you to do. Like you center yourself on something and you you make everything small and you focus on very th- small things to like calm yourself down. And I did that, I didn't pass out. But then from that point on, every few minutes, the entire day, every single day, I would have many panic attacks about the same thing. It would just come into every moment of my life. And I was like, this can't keep going on. If this happens, I don't know how I'm going to live. How am I supposed to, I'm going to meet this death a lot quicker than I think I'm going to because I'm going to have a heart attack. And so that's where I think my my anxiety really went through the roof and I had to deal with feelings that I hadn't dealt with and coming out of a religion that had given me a framework that probably hid and masked, helped me mask a lot of my emotions and a lot of anxiety. And then realizing it's just me and I got to deal with this. So, I mean, that's kind of where I came into that. And then being in the relationship that I'm in now also helped me deal with that because like I said earlier, she's really good at being comfortable with emotions and really encourages me to express emotions. And I think having a a safe space to be able to deal with those things has helped a lot. And I mean, I'm far from perfect and still hide my emotions all the time, but (laughs) I feel at least I recognize it. And, and I think my biggest challenge now is I acknowledge that and try really hard to put myself in situations where with people that I care about, where I can express who I am and what I'm feeling, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable for me or for the other person and just be more myself so that I make real connection. Cause I think at this point in my life, I'm realizing that it isn't that the thing that I've been missing my entire life with feeling like I'm a part of a group or part of people is being myself. <laughs> and so bring it all around. It's the the challenge of a five in most contexts and every five I've ever known is the challenge to figure out who you are and how to be yourself without fear of rejection or losing control of the situation or yourself, I think is being able to not predict the next situation or the next moment. So here we are, we're in this situation because of that. I don't, I would have never agreed to this years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> Same. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, same. The podcasting has been a journey for me. Yeah. As has, you know, the last few years in a lot of ways. So it's, it sounds like though, where you're at is a, a fairly healthy place where at least you recognize what you're dealing with yeah. and you have tools and you are, you're actively working towards being able to emote and, you know, to, de- to deal with that. Right. I think I'm at a place now where after all of these years and all these times of, of analyzing, maybe I'm finally ready to go to therapy, <laughs> you know, and I, cause I've always viewed therapy as a terrifying thing. I don't want to sit in a room and have somebody analyze me and rip me apart. I don't want to know what they find. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because that's my job to do that with other people. It's not people's do- job to do it with me. And so and then I kind of feel like a, a cornered beast or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> like, no, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. But I think I'm in a place now. And here's the wild thing is I've always told everybody else, therapy is the best thing you could do. Like <laughs> it's so healthy. And I think everybody should go to therapy. Everyone but me, but everybody else should go to therapy. And so I think that it's been a, a real challenge for me to come around to, I mean, and I'm talking like last week being like, I think I'm ready to look at this list of therapists that my doctor gave me and just run through them and see who works, you know? And so, yeah, that's a big step for me. I had a very hard time for probably two thirds of my life so far 
dealing with my feelings and just being okay with feeling something without having to intellectualize it. And the only way that I've really been able to work through that is through lots of therapy. And a couple of the tools that I was given are related to learning how to come out of my head and be in the moment, grounded with my feet on the floor, being aware of what I'm looking at around me. And through doing that, I have been able to be more aware of a feeling versus a thought. So, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I, I think because you're, you're a six wing and I'm a four wing, we, we approach it very differently because I was actually uh, really excited to go to therapy. And for me, but it was therapy in that context was more centered around my marriage and helping us navigate just things that had been recurring issues that we just didn't have the tools to be able to, to understand, to unpack, to deal with, to address, you know, all that. My experience with it, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> so I, I'd actually say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm anti-therapy because I, I, I don't think, I don't think that's the case. I would, I probably wouldn't go to therapy now, but it's, but I'm in a completely different place than I was. And so I'll, I'll circle back around to why that is. But the, the, my experience with therapy in the beginning was very good because it's really important. Like it, it's, it's really important to have that safe space and to have that objective third party because and I will say that therapy is really misrepresented on in like TV and movies and things because sure. it's not a good therapist is never going to just shred you apart and, right, and yeah. you know, rip you apart. Like it, the therapist really is there to ask questions that guide you to sort of self-discovery and to unpacking like a good, in my experience, that's what a good therapist does. Right. And so, you know, we as fives are naturally inclined to do that anyway. And so actually uh, having a guide there to make that process faster was really enjoyable for me. It's like, really efficient. <laughs> it was really efficient. Like I really appreciate it because sure. when I got caught in my head and was like spinning my wheels and overanalyzing everything, she would call me out on it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just saved a bunch of energy by not, by yeah. not going down that rabbit hole. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that <laughs> you're telling me that therapists aren't the way that Aaron Sorkin portrays them <laughs> in all of his shows. <laughs> oh man. I will say though that like, so I went to therapy for a couple years and there was a point where, and, and you know, it, it really depends on where you are and what your needs are. For me, there was a point where I got to where I got the tools that I needed from it. And every time I would go, it would it feel like a rehashing of everything over and over again. Yeah. And that became more harmful than helpful for me. Yeah. And so then I, I stopped and I went to find other tools and other methods that helped me actually take action on things. Mm. But the therapy was really the catalyst for me preparing me for all of that other stuff. Mm. So I'll say now it, it does sound a little strange for me to say this when I say it out loud. I will, I know that I'm completely comfortable with my emotions. Mm. Like a hundred percent. I, I have no issues in that department anymore. Yeah. And it's taken a lot of work for me to get there and we can, we can lay out that story if you will, <laughs> if you want. But th for, for anyone listening who can relate, who resonates with, the journeys that Cody and I have been on, I will say that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a way for fives to embrace this side and be able to, to live. It just, it does, it, it takes time and it takes work and it, and it's, it's 
I mean, pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, or you can, I don't, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast or not, but I think that I, I, I actually did jump ahead and there are shortcuts. And I mean, I had a shortcut and a huge revelation when I did shrooms the first time. Um, and I had, I had, that's a whole, I want to hear about that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I had, so we'll get into that. I mean, let me, I mean, we'll, we'll get there in a second, but <laughs> I think, and I, I actually get that from you that you're really comfortable with your emotions, which and in many ways, I mean, we've known each other now, what, tw- is it 12 years? Uh, yeah, about yeah. 12 years. And we've known each other through, like we were just saying before we started this, it feels like three lifetimes. Yeah, so many phases of life. And so I feel like it's it's in many ways wild that we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, now it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense that we'd be friends. And we're, I feel like, better friends now than we've ever been. And it, it, it keeps getting better, which is good. But I think back to when you first moved in with me and you watched anime in the dark yeah. and never talked. <laughs> And I'd walk in, I remember distinctly walking into the den and you were on the couch covered up all the way over your head and all, all it was, it was just your head sticking out and it was just the light of the computer hitting your face and you were just like dead faced and just this whole deadpan look. But I walk in and I didn't think anybody was home. So I walk in and I'm like, like, oh my God. And you didn't even notice me. I walked right through the room and I jumped and I freaked out. I tried to talk to you. You had your headphones in. You were not paying attention to me. And that went on for a long time. Until you moved out. <laughs> Which did not take very long because uh, your mom wasn't a big fan of me in that phase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I don't blame her. My mom's not a big fan of most people, so don't take it too personally. Oh, um, uh, I don't. I love yeah. her. It's good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and I think that it's really interesting because you were emotionally, I think you were always de- developing a little bit closer to where you are now, a little ahead of me. And so it wasn't until very recently that I felt like we were kind of more in the same place. And I think that that's really helpful for me now. But what was really helpful for me in my mid twenties was you being a little ahead of me and me always feeling like you not only had, had your shit a little bit together, but also that you were judging me a little in a good way though. Like not in a bad way. I felt like not judging is probably not the right word. I think that it was like, I knew that I couldn't pretend with you. You always knew, like you always knew that. Like I, was I had bullshitting been, you. I had been through what you're you, you're going through, and I was, sure. saw through it. Yeah, yeah. I think that was actually looking back. It was hard to be around you sometimes, and I felt like I was mm. feeling I it, in my own head. I felt attacked by how you were towards me because interesting. Yeah, I know, and um, something we've never talked about. But I felt like I didn't like being around people who could read me because most people could not read. Me. Oh yeah, did this happen in Nashville? When we were living in Nashville. No. Okay. No. I didn't feel that way then. I just didn't want anybody near me. Okay. Oh, um, that was because you like not... dropped off the face of the earth, and I'm like, yeah, I know this move. Yeah. I've I've played this move. I mean, yeah, it's but be... I'm gonna give you space. I mean, and that's exactly <laughs> what I needed to hold hold myself up and my studio apartment and drink lots of wine and play music. I mean, that's basically what I did and cuddle with my cats. And like, that was, that was, I did that, especially towards the end. I didn't have friends. I didn't do anything. And I was like, it's it's time. Well, I mean, it helped that I lost my job and it was like, it's time to go back to where people have to be around me. And I think that was probably a good, I mean, it was definitely a good thing because I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't go back. But at the time it felt awful because I was going through a divorce and it was going through all these things. And then at the same time, this job that I moved and, for the first time out of my hometown to go to, then I lost it and it really didn't work out. And I'd felt over my head with that job the whole time, which is not something a five ever wants to feel. So I had anxiety. I was experiencing migraines. That's also when I found out I had sleep apnea, which was causing migraines. And so, I mean, yeah, lots of things were happening all at once while I was also in a deep, deep state of just stress, anxiety, chaos, and depression. So it was a terrible time. But now I look at it and I mean, 
there's not a lot of bad things in my life that I could handle that I would handle that badly again. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I know that place. I don't want to be there again. There's places, there's better ways to handle it. And I have people in my life that I would want to handle that with. And I think that's kind of the place that I'm at now. And also too, like the Enneagram really helped me to, in a, in the long run, you know, at first it was kind of like, I treated it like the minus Briggs and it was a really cool way of putting people in boxes. And then I realized really quickly, that's not what it's about at all. Oh, it's about self-growth. Damn it. <laughs> you know? And so, and of course, you know, more I get into it, the more I realize, oh, there's actually real growth that happens when you understand more about people's different shades of whatever color they are when it comes to whatever, whatever number they are. And then there's all these other layers to it and all these other areas and you get into the wings and you get into the triads and all the stuff. And it's fluid. That's what I love about it. It's very fluid and it doesn't put people in boxes. It just helps you identify a starting point. And I think that's really cool. And that's kind of what it did for me and help me understand that it's actually okay to be who I am. I'm not, there's not, I'm not broken. I'm not wrong mm-hmm. and that's okay. And so if people don't like me or whatever, then there's something going on there that I can, I can talk about or I can deal with, but it's not because of me. It's not because I'm broken or I'm wrong. And I think that that's, that was a big thing for me that helped me be a lot more comfortable with myself. But then I had my shrooms experience <laughs> and that was the most insane thing that I've ever done. When I think, did this happen? I did. Did you, um, did you tell me about this? I don't remember hearing about over this. the summer. Oh, this summer? Yeah. Oh, no, I did not hear about this. So I had, uh, we had some friends who lived behind us. So it was in walking distance. It was very safe. In mm-hmm. my anxiety, this was a good time. Good thing to do. Anyway, so one day we, I made a decision. If they offer them to me, because they've been talking about them, and I'm going to do it. And so... Here's the thing too, like all these people who have had these controlled situations and talking to friends in that, in those circles who I think talked to me personally about it. And they were in controlled environments where this shaman or Buddhist monk or whatever sat them down and was like, this is how much you get and you're going to have this experience and I'm going to be here as a, as a sober and wise <laughs> guide to help make sure you don't like jump off the edge of the house or something. And, and so I think for some reason, some ways it was destigmatizing for me. And I realized that I was okay with drugs that were natural and not chemically (laughs) born. So I was like, okay, I think I'm okay with this and I'll do just a little bit. So I didn't do just a little bit and (laughs) fast forward. And so I had a a theme with you. (laughs) Yeah. I had, I had a couple stems and I was like, I don't, I don't feel anything. And I had a very similar experience in that time that I way did too much weed. And so <laughs> many years ago, and I was like, I'm never doing that again. But you know, I don't like smoke or partake in weed when I say doing weed. <laughs> Who says that? Anyway. Such so, a cool cat. So such a cool cat doing weed. And, <laughs> anyway. So I, I, I ate a couple stems. I'm sitting there. We're just chilling. And Madison had like a tea of it. And I didn't know that, I mean, I, I probably did know that the tea hits you very differently and when it's liquid form. And so I, she was like, I can't finish this. I was like, well, let me have a sip. And I took a generous sip. And so then I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, guys, I don't know. I think this is making me sick. Like I'm feeling really sick to my stomach. And they were like, buckle up, buttercup. It's about to happen. And so they turned on trolls too. <laughs> and have you seen trolls too? I have not. Oh no. man. The, the kids aren't quite old enough for trolls yet. Oh, uh, okay. That's okay. I get that. A lot of complex thoughts and processes, I guess. No, I just, it's more like the, the main bad character is trying to eat the trolls. Fair. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little scary. We're just, I mean, Solomon's four. <laughs> so Trolls 2 is a lot less intense like okay, that. Good. It's just about somebody who is a rock and roll troll. You discover all these other trolls 
And it's a rock and roll troll trying to take over the troll universe by making everybody rock and roll because they all sing different music. <laughs> That's important to note. note. It's, a, it's important to note because basically every time they would anybody would play different music or do anything different, all these different colors and things would happen on the screen. It was very trippy. Like... Mm completely sober it's a trippy ass movie it's wild so anyway i'm watching it and i'm like oh this is cool i'm starting to feel tingly and a little numb and i tried to get up and walk and i was like nope i'm gonna sit right back down this is fine and then there was a moment where i was i completely felt like i was off the couch and floating through a sea of color like just a river i'm just floating down this river of color as it's coming out of the tv which is now floating and i'm just chilling and it was the first time in my life that I felt like everything was okay. Hmm. And that was a really, really weird thing for me. And I didn't expect to be watching Trolls 2 and, and having <laughs> shrooms and tripping on shrooms and thinking like this was going to be some kind of spiritual experience. Because I've heard all these spiritual experiences, right? Of everybody like this was revolutionary and I'm going to change my name to Ram Dass and all these things, right? But I didn't have that experience. And I, I don't think I was meant to have that experience quite yet. But I think that it was super helpful for me to be in touch with who I, what I felt and that, and to be just in my body. Cause I don't, I think a lot of times I feel like, and this is a five thing, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm just never in my body. I'm always yep. cerebral. I'm always thinking outside of myself and your body is just a, a vessel to carry your mind around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And in that moment I could not help but be in my body. It's like I was, I was drowning in my body, right? Mm. Like I was just in this moment. I was just like, here we go. And I was, I was really fortunate to be in an emotionally good place where I had let go of whatever fears I was going to have. And I was just along for the ride, which took a lot for me to get there. Like, yeah. I think if I had done it any other time in my life, it would have been a very different and unhealthy experience. But because I was like, whatever happens, happens, we're just going to do this and I can walk home and it's fine that it was totally fine. And, but I remember very distinctly walking outside and looking at the stars and everything. It's like somebody had turned up the, the brightness because my eyes were completely dilated. And I remember looking up at the stars and being like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Everything just looks more amazing. And this, I mean, the sky looked blue. It didn't look black. It was at dead of night at like two in the morning at this point. We're walking home. And I remember, I mean, this is wild experiences, right? Like I got in the elevator in our apartment and I was like, I feel like I feel the warmth of the light in the elevator. Like, I feel like I'm in, being embraced by light right now. And Madison looks at me and she goes, your eyes are black. <laughs> That's why the light seems so bright. And she had, she'd also done it. Keep this in mind. The entire time she did not feel anything. <laughs> so she's completely sober. She's like, nothing worked for me. And she was like, okay, so I don't get it, whatever. And so she's kind of like annoyed by the fact that I'm having this really great time. And we get inside and I'm just, I'm hanging out. I think I hopped on Xbox and was talking to my brother in Colorado and telling him the experience and playing video games to finish off this like little fun ride that I was on. And Madison gets on the couch and she's laying there and then she jumps up and she's like, I'm gonna go to bed. And I was like, okay, she wouldn't explain why. And then she comes out and she uh, kind of walks around the, the apartment a few times and she goes in the bedroom and then she comes back out and she goes, I just saw lightning in my water glass. I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, you sure you don't want to stay awake? Because it sounds like it's getting real good. And she's like, I'm going to bed. And then she tells me later that she was laying on the couch and what made her get up and be really uncomfortable was the fact that she saw herself laying on the couch from another place, another perspective. Like she went out of her body and saw herself wow. from outside her body. And I was like, whoa, I did not wow. have that experience. But yeah, so all that to say, it was a wild experience. And actually the best part of it 
is something that I didn't read about until later. I didn't know that this happened, but for the next 48 hours, I was completely anxiety free, Hmm. completely no medication because I forgot to take medication that day or the next day, no medication and no anything. I felt so calm and so relaxed and so happy, like weirdly happy, like I was on antidepressants happy and it was just like. But not like it wasn't like I was foggy or weird, no like weird hangover or anything like that. I woke up and I was just like, I remember waking up in bed the next morning and being like, wow, last night was crazy and I feel great. (laughs) And like the whole day went to the dog park, everything, nothing could make me upset that day. I was just happy. And I read later, like it really kind of resets your chemical balances and Hmm. like affects the way your brain chemicals work. And it really does like it releases serotonin and just makes you happier. I was just like, wow, that's crazy. People microdose all the time. I've read all about it just to make themselves feel like normal and happy. And I'm just like, that's crazy to me. Hmm. But anyway, all that to say, but don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs, kids. (laughs) They're really, uh, they make you really happy. (laughs) No, who wants that? Oh, no. Who wants that? Yeah. So I've, oh man, that's crazy. I'm glad you had the experience though, that the, the big piece of that, that I'm glad that you experienced was that connection. Right. Of you with your body and being in that moment and having that sense of everything is fine. So there is this condition called congenital insensitivity, and I've always been fascinated with it, but it's where a person cannot feel physical pain, which sounds great and dandy at first, but regular practice that people with this condition have to do is go over and check their bodies at the end of the day to make sure they don't have any cuts that they can't feel that might get infected or turn into something worse. So I feel very much like that in my feelings. I've always found that to be kind of an interesting metaphor for it, that I'm so oblivious to my feelings. Like if I'm not actively thinking about them, I just don't feel them. But when that happens, I tend to either stuff things down until I implode or I I also tend to get really physically ill when I do that. So I have to be very mindful and kind of check in with myself each day to check for the metaphorical scrape or scratch or whatever that might get infected. I have to check in with myself, check in with my emotions, see how I'm feeling, but I have to be very intentional about it. Otherwise, I don't deal with it. And then that's when I get sick or am mean to people or whatever. But I've always kind of thought of that as my metaphor and how I deal with my emotions. Like I have to check in every day. Otherwise, something might, might start festering and then I get really sick. So that's how I've always thought of it. Well, I was going to say you, I know I've, I've recommended this to you before, but you should definitely start doing hypnosis, like self-hypnosis, yeah. self-hypnosis. because I, as crazy as it sounds, I've had similar experiences yeah. doing that. And it just, it just takes repetition and, and, and kind of like wiring that up in your brain to, to get to the point where you can have the more intense experiences. But I've had some crazy trippy experiences doing that, That's um, wild. like life-changing experiences, huh. but it's in a very similar vein of... There's this piece that gets ingrained, like the very fiber of your being, mm. of knowing that uh, everything's okay and that you're, you're part of something that is uh, so much bigger than yourself. It's the, it's the thing that we're all looking for inside of religion that some people get and some people don't. But Most people don't. <laughs> like we said, that's a, that's a conversation <laughs> for a different time. But the, I've had, a, I've had a, a similar experiences with 
without the drugs, although I'm very curious. I've not partaken in anything, but I am I am curious. Um, well, when you have three kids and a wife, you have to really plan that out. <laughs> yeah, I've never been at the life stage. When, once I once I like let go of the stigma of it, I, I haven't been at the life stage where that really seems very feasible for me. Sure. <laughs> the well, kids grow up. And <laughs> he'll have time eventually. Hopefully, I'll be around for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the you brought up a really great point. Which I, I I don't want to skip over, hmm. because that experience that you had was really integral to part of like my journey of getting to where I am. And you know, obviously, I'm not I'm not like a shaman. I'm not like a sage. Like right. I'm not yeah. I'm not perfect by any means. But <laughs> I, I the, where I am now is just so drastically different than where I was. And if you kind of look at the the different levels of health. As a five, I'm definitely I've I've leapfrogged some of those stages, and I've had a couple of key experiences that just really opened up my eyes and shifted the way that I think about everything. But specifically around around my emotions and around what it really means to to be a five and to feel things. Sure. <laughs> and and so the first one is you know therapy definitely helped in that regard. It helped me. The, the main thing I got from therapy was being able to identify emotions. And there's a really cool feelings chart that, that my, I'll have to show it to you, that my, my, my therapist showed me. I don't know if I've shown it to you before. But it, it helps you identify, like, this is what you, you're feeling, and this is actually the root cause of that. And so it's something like, you know, you're feeling depressed or you're feeling you're feeling angry. Well, it's really just because you're feeling lonely or some, something along those lines. I'm I'm butchering it, but there was at least a tool that I had to start identifying the emotions. Hmm. And that helped for sure because it allowed me to start down the path of of being okay with the emotions because it's, as fives, you know, we want to understand things. And so if we can start to understand the emotions, then that helps us to accept the emotions. And so that that's really brings us to the, the first place where stuff started to turn around for me. And this was back in, I don't know, I think it's like 2016 or something like that. I was in San Francisco randomly on a trip for work. And my old boss, who's a mentor of mine, was also randomly in San Francisco at the same time. His name's Nathan. And he was living in San Diego at the time. And we just happened to be in the same city. And so we met up. And we went out to this bar and we we're just, you know, catching up, talking about everything. And I was talking to him about this existential crisis that I've been going through where, you know, at the time it was very, very tied to my faith and how I felt about that and, and everything that was changing for me there. But it was at a deeper level, it was really tied to my identity and, and he you know, I, and I essentially said, you know, I don't know who I am. And, you know, before, and I don't, like I said, I don't really want to go down the faith and religion road right now. Right. But, you know, before it, it was, it was easy for me to sort of accept this, this identity based on the community that I was in. And apart from that, once that fell apart, I, I, I didn't really have a sense of self. And so I was in this really deep existential crisis of who am I? And, you know, 
as a five, we like to analyze everything. We love frameworks and especially big frameworks that can explain as much as possible. And so, you know, I'm, right. of course I was really into the Myers-Briggs and I was really into personality typing and Enneagram and all that stuff. And I had talked to him about a lot of that stuff. And, and he said something to me that, man, I will just, it, it just, it just completely shifted everything for me. And it was, you know, he said, you already know who you are. He said, it said that, that's really obvious. Like you, you've, you know, everything about you, you're your personality type, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can identify all those things. You're smart enough that you can, you know, you, you know who you are. That's not your problem. Your problem is you don't accept who you are. said that to me there was something that just clicked and I stepped back and I said okay I know that that's true he didn't really like the fact that he said that was just it was just like he was revealing the truth that I already knew inside and and so I I stepped back and I said okay given that that's true what is it about I asked myself this question what is it about myself that I know is true that I don't accept and immediately before the thought was fully formed in my brain, I already knew the answer to that. And the answer was, I'm a very sensitive person. And that was never okay. It was never okay with the way that I grew up. It was never okay with how I felt about how I should be as a person based on my personality type. As a five, we're, we're logical. We are no emotions and all like, we're like this robot, right? But that's not actually who I am. We have this amazing ability to analyze things and to to take in all this information and break it down and categorize it and really dive deep on things. But there's this piece of me that I always, like we talked about, I always wanted to shove aside. And it is this idea that I'm actually a really highly sensitive person. And that I feel things. I don't just feel things. I feel them deeply. And I never let myself be okay with that. And so in that moment... I realized that that was one thing, that was a a primary thing that was true about me that I didn't accept. And from then on, it was, okay, how can I learn to accept this? And so I went on that journey. And that led me to, through a lot of things, I know I've shared bits and pieces of this story and you know, we, we probably, we'll probably want to d- dive deeper at a different time, but you know, I, I started working with a life coach, which is different than a therapist in that it's more action oriented. And I went through some really intense, really intense programs with like subconscious transformation, working with a shaman, a shaman's apprentice and, and, and just some, some crazy things that probably not, I think not, I think fives are, are probably pretty open to that sort of stuff, but non fives might think I'm, I'm pretty out there at this point, but I don't know. As a five, I thought you were pretty out there too. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I would have, I would have thought that as well, especially coming from a very conservative background. But in that I learned a, f- a few really key things. I, I learned a ton and I've, I've Trend like the person I am now compared to the person I, I was three, three and a half years ago, it's like a night and day difference. And one of the things that part of that journey for me as a five with learning how to deal with emotions is that I learned a couple of really key things about, about emotions because, you know, our, our go-to move as a five is we want to disengage. 
mm-hmm. right? So we want to pull ourselves out of the moment when we're when we're uncomfortable, which is a lot of the time, and we want to pull ourselves out so that we can sit back and observe and analyze, so that we can understand until we can get back. and And then once we feel confident enough in our understanding, then we're we're confident enough to reengage and to engage in in everything, right? Right. Yeah. And so what I and and that that was my go to move, you know, with with anytime I started to feel emotions, I would just disconnect, mm-hmm. right? And and there there are a couple of really key problems with that. <laughs> the first is so so when it came to emotions, what I would do is I'd say, okay, I'm starting to feel this thing. It's very uncomfortable. Right. I'm gonna set it aside because where I'm at right now is not a place where I can like safely feel this and analyze it and all that stuff. Yeah. Too inconvenient. Yes, it does right. not work. Yeah. So I'm just gonna set it aside <laughs> and I'll come back to it later. Okay. So there, there are a couple of key problems with that. Number one is feelings now never feel the same as feelings later. Right. Yeah. So we're robbing ourselves of actually feeling the feelings. Yeah. You right? put it through a filter. Yeah. Number two is that most of the time we never actually come back to process those sure. things. Yeah. And so they just get stuffed down and stuffed down and stuffed down. And so what, when I realized this, and the, the coaches, the mentors, everyone that I, I was working with helped me understand that. Then the next step is, okay, how do I feel the things? All right. And, you know, I'm a big fan of hypnosis, meditation, and all of that. And one of the, th- the things that I learned through doing uh, mindfulness meditation is this practice of taking thoughts and not judging them and dismissing them. And so I started to apply that to my feelings of when I had a feeling, I said, okay, this is uncomfortable. I'm not going to judge that I feel uncomfortable about this, right? So here's a feeling that I'm feeling. Let myself feel it. And the key here is let myself feel it without analyzing it, Mm. without trying to understand it, without judging it and just say, Hey, this is a thing that I'm feeling. Let's feel it for a little bit. Right. Because I'm not going to feel it forever. Sure. You know? Well, and I mean, like some of that is probably shame related too, right? Yeah. There's a ton of that. Yeah. yeah. And and especially as fives, because we, we're just so damn logical, right? You know? Right. Yeah. And we're Spock, right? We don't yeah. have emotions. And and, but, and pride ourselves. Yeah. That, you we know pride. I mean? Like this it's is part trophy. of our identity. Yeah. But, but the reality is we're human and humans have emotions and everything that we talked about here is that when we don't allow ourselves that human experience, we're denying who we really are. And so when I started to practice these things and it does take practice, you know, it, it, it it takes repetition, but I started to notice something really interesting. And that is that I was, you know, I was doing this along with some other, other exercises like mindfulness meditation, all with the, the goal of, of trying to understand what it really means to be able to live in the moment, because that's something that we struggle with is pulling ourselves out of the moment mm-hmm. and, and specifically just letting myself feel things. And what I realized was that when I started to do that and I started to do that more often, I started to experience life. And so we, we as five, we want, we were seeking this deep understanding. We're seeking this, this, this understanding that gives us the confidence to engage with the world. But by disengaging, we're actually robbing ourselves of that understanding because to know something is different than understanding it. Right. So like I've never, I've never broken an arm. 
Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I understand what it's like to break an arm. Yeah. You know, because I, I know what that process, I know we have bones. I know that they're, br- they're brittle to a certain extent. Like, you sure. Know, it always I, looks like it hurts in movies. Right. right yeah. But <laughs> I don't know what that's like. And, and there's a, there's a huge, if you, if you've ever broken an arm or broken a bone, like, you know what that's like. There's a, there's a difference there. Right. Yeah. And so I have it, I can have an understanding of that, but I don't, I don't know it. And you can't know, have that knowing until you, and have that deep, deep understanding until you have the full experience. And that full experience includes the emotions and includes the feelings. And when you pull yourself out and try to do it later, you're robbing yourself of that. And you're actually robbing yourself of your ultimate goal, which is to have that deep understanding. And when I, and and on top of that, you're also expending a whole lot of energy, mm. <laughs> which is yeah. another thing that we don't want to do as fives. And, and so when I, I started to do this, life opened up. I, I, it, was, it was like I was seeing color for the first time and, and tasting food for the first time because here's the thing. You can't selectively numb emotions. You can't say, I'm going to feel joy, but I'm not going to feel anger. You know, I'm going, I'm going to feel uh, closeness, but I'm not going to feel the sadness, right? right. You can't, yeah. you can't do that. And, and so if you're numbing yourself to certain ones, you're numbing yourself to all of them. And when you stuff all that stuff down to, to take the edge off the pain, you're taking the edge off the joy and you cannot live a full, rich life that way. And that was my big aha as a five is I was strangling myself because I was so afraid of feeling the things that I didn't know how to process. And I didn't realize that I didn't need to process them. I just Mm. needed to let them be what they are and that's okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's great. That's where I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good place. I, I, I feel like I've kind of come down that in a little bit different way um, and I'm still going through that process and I don't know I think for me it's been a little bit of not just coming to grips with feeling things and being okay with them but also coming to grips with the reality that I don't feel things that I feel like all this time I should have been feeling and I'm also Mm. okay with that yeah you know what I mean and so yeah and feeling feelings that I feel like everybody else feels in certain situations and I just don't feel those things. Yep. I'm not sensitive. And I feel like I've always been made to feel like I should be. And mm-hmm. I'm just not at all. And so that's been a big thing for me too. It's like coming from the opposite side and being okay with being different in that way. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a wild journey for sure for fives and anybody who loves a five and has one in their life. <laughs> yeah. And so whether that's you listening, being like, I need to understand the five in my life, or you're the five that's geeking out right now with other fives like us and hopefully getting at least some enjoyment out of this conversation. I think that that's something that we can all kind of come together on and, and explore together for sure. Yeah, man, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's a good place to end it. Yeah, sounds good. It feels like a natural place. Yeah, it feels. <laughs> it great. feels so nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time then. All right. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how, that, how do we end this. I don't know. We're hopefully we'll have like music or something. <laughs> Hey, it's Cody, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us. If you enjoyed this episode and you're the type of person who likes helping others, 
Would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com.